We are going to be in James 1, but we're going to make our way there slowly. We're going to go through Psalm 19 to get to James 1. So if you can turn with me to Psalm 1, we'll find our way to James 1. Sorry, Psalm 19, we'll find our way to James 1 in a moment. But I want you to look at how precious the Word of God is to God's people. From Psalm 19. Psalm 19 says this in verse 7, The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Yahweh are true, and they are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me, hidden, uh, acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your slave from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer." Notice once again how precious the Word of God is to God's people. If you are a child of God, this psalm is speaking your language, so to speak. Notice what it does. Notice what the Word of God does according to this psalm. It restores. It makes wise. It enlightens. It endures. It warns you. And did you notice also, it reveals who you are. You, you, you say to yourself, how can I know the evil of my heart and the word of God provides a remedy for you? It reveals you to you. But nobody today wants something that's going to be revealing them to them, really. Nobody really wants the kind of revealing that the word of God promises, right? That's not valuable to us at all. We, or as a culture at least, as a culture, we're after this thing called happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction. And happiness isn't found through something purifying you or something cleansing you or something warning you or something revealing you. That's not how happiness is found. Happiness is found, according to the world that we live in, when all of the constraints and all laws are removed from us, right? That's what our society is telling us, right? You need to be who you truly are on the inside, and then you can be happy, and then you can be fulfilled, and then you can be satisfied. Happiness is found not in the presence of rules or laws or words, but in the absence of laws and rules and constraints, right? Our world does not see God's word as precious. Not like this psalmist, at least. Happiness means be authentic. Happiness means be true to yourself. You've heard that before. 
anybody who doesn't affirm who you are, who you really feel like you are as well, is considered an oppressor, an enemy, right? Happiness is not found in the word of God or the will of God. Happiness, satisfaction, is found, according to our world, as far as you can get away from the word of God. The more free you are of God's rules, the happier you are. That is what our world tells us today. So tonight, for tonight's message, I'm just going to warn you straight up, it is going to be an uncomfortable message for the kind of world that we live in tonight. We're going to see today, actually in hearing God's word, in delighting in God's word, in meditating on God's word, on on abiding in God's word, the, the believer actually finds maximum joy maximum freedom, and maximum happiness, the believer is like this psalmist who is saying, more precious to me are your words. They're more precious than gold, even the finest gold that you can find. That is what we're going to see in James as well. In doing God's word, in doing God's word, I find most freedom. That's what we find in our message tonight. Matter of fact, look at this. Turn over to James 1. Turn over to James 1. We'll be here. Look at James 1.25. Notice what it says about the true believer. Real faith. James 1.25 says this. The one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in what he does. In the doing of God's word, in the allowing of God's word to do its work in you, you find maximum blessing and freedom in this life. That is a countercultural message if I ever heard one. But how do we get to this point? Let's do a, a few little reviews. First off, remember this, remember this. Uh, why should I rejoice in trials? Well, because trials, uh, sorry, trials strengthen my faith but only if I pray to God in them for wisdom because true wisdom helps me think eternally. True wisdom, remember this, looks forward to the crown. True wisdom knows that temptation comes not from all your friends, not from your sisters, not from the world around you, but from inside your heart. And true wisdom, what does it do? It trusts everything that comes from God. That's James 1, the first part. But then remember, we started the second part last week, right? How do I know that my faith is true? Remember that? How do I know that my faith is true? Here we go, ready? Let everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I'll do that one more time. You guys still just don't understand this, but I'm telling you, it worked really well with my kids. So, um, how do I know that my faith is real? Let everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And this, mo- and this evening, I want you to learn some new ones, okay? Ready? Ready for this? Now, I don't know if that reminds you of a mirror, uh, but this is what we're going to say. We're going to say this is a mirror. We're going to say, God's word is my 
mirror. So I'll say that with it. God's word is my mirror. One of my favorite memories of doing this with my kids is my little Andrew trying to say all these things back and he gets to that. It'd be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. God's word is a window washer. (laughs) He kind of got it, but anyway, you know, so so let's try it. Let's try one more time here. Ready? Let everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Well, because God's word is my mirror. And then we're also going to add one more part. So that I may do it. Now, I'm not a sign language, I'm not a sign language guy, but what does do, do it mean? How do you say do it in sign language? Is it this or is it this? That's, that's baby talk for doing it, but, but, but I saw a woman doing this. So what, what do I do for sign language with doing? How do, I, how do I express I'm doing something with sign language? No, that's, that's not it. But what, are there no sign language experts? I, was, I, I looked online today and I was like, well, I'll just trust in my students who know all things, especially when I'm doing them wrong, uh, but none of you know them. All right. So this one, this one could be do it. This one could be do it with finesse. Which one do you want? Let's do, let's do this. Jacob knows sign language. Where is Jacob? I don't know. Anyway, all right. Okay, all right. Okay, ready? Uh, let everybody be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. God's word is my mirror so that I can do it. I don't know. Anyway, that'll make sense in a moment. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, but... Uh, Turn back in your Bibles here really quick. Before we can understand what it means to have God's Word as a treasure that brings about freedom, we kind of need to understand what we're in right now. Why are we talking about God's Word being our window washer? Why are we talking about doing things? What does all this mean? Let's talk about the main point of of our passage tonight, and that is actually in verse 22. Notice this, but become doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Once again, this is kind of the main, the main point of our message tonight. True faith reveals itself as a doing faith. Real faith is an active faith. Real faith does God's word. Real faith uh, has its faith revealed to them by the word of God and they do things. True, real faith actually takes hold and changes the people that have true faith. You will be different. Your faith often will lead you to follow God even apart from your feelings. Real faith isn't looking inside of you at what you feel like doing, but real faith is saying, I'm choosing to trust in God's word and I'm going to act apart from my feelings at times. You live by faith, not by living for the here and now, but you live by faith by what? Looking forward to the crown, looking in the future. It's kind of, and I've said this before, it's kind of as though real faith is kind of like you are a time traveler on the Titanic, right? You are not going to live the same way everybody else lives because you have knowledge, understanding that this boat is going down, so I'm not going to live the same way, right? Real faith, in the same way, changes the way you live. Now, notice what James says here. He says, but become doers of the word. And by that word, but there, you see he's making, he's kind of setting up a contrast. 
you know your faith is real, he's just talked about, by, by how you receive God's word. You remember that from last week, you're, you're slow to speak, slow to anger, you're quick to hear, that is real, true faith. But, James says here in 22, don't mistake real faith for just being only or merely a listener. Uh, Real faith isn't just receiving, real faith is also doing. It's not just passive, it's very active. Faith reveals itself in your life. And notice what he calls the person with real faith. They are a doer of the word. Now this, of course... Is, is kind of setting off the main central section of James. You might not care about this, but if you turn all the way over to James 4.11, we'll be there sometime in you know January or June or something like that. All the way over in 4.11, he brings up this theme again about doing the law. He says, he who slanders a brother or judges his brother slanders the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So this whole section, all the way from here, all the way to 4.11, is talking about how do I know if my faith is real? And it's going to give you all of these explanations for why or how you can tell that your faith is real. But right here, he refers to someone who is um, having real faith as someone who doesn't just hear God's word, but they also do it. Or, to use the words that we talked about last week, you are quick to hear. That is what a doer is. It's someone that comes to God's word not to argue, not to get mad, not to fight, but to do it, to be changed by God's word. I am listening to God's word, and I am expecting change to happen. And this is a true test of faith, if you ask me. It means you no longer live the same way you used to live. You cannot live a life that is ignorant of God's word. You cannot live a life that ignores God's truth anymore. You have faith, and therefore your life is different. You cannot forget the truth of God, and therefore your life is different. That is what a true faith looks like. Your whole worldview has been changed because of the things that you know about God. That is true faith. But not all the people in the church have this kind of faith, as James lets us know. Notice, James also reveals that there's another kind of person, and they may think they're a Christian, but they're not really. They are, notice the word, deluded. They are deluded. Uh, ESV talks about them being self-deceived. We talked about this in a leaders meeting. No, this doesn't mean your coffee is watered down. They didn't have coffee back then. It just means that they are deceived by themselves. Or, to say it like this, they are kidding themselves. If your faith isn't revealing itself in works and actions, you are kidding yourself. You're, you're, You're a big joke to yourself. You're deceiving yourself about the real nature of your faith. You are self-deceived. In James 1.26, notice he says, your religion is worthless. It is empty. It is dead. It is nothing. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to make just a simple comparison between the kind of faith that does and the kind of faith that's deluded. So let's compare the deluded to the doer. And here, listen to me. My goal tonight is not for you to listen really hard to make yourself fit into one category or the other, right? That shouldn't be your goal when you're listening to the Word of God. It shouldn't be, man, I know I should be a doer, so I'm going to try to make myself a doer based on how I listen. No, your goal tonight should be to let God's Word reveal you to you, and then you say, this is who God's word is revealing me to be. What should I do about it? 
So just listen as we uh, study this contrast. Observe first the the deluded, the self-deceived, we will call them. The self-deceived, the acts and practices of the self-deceived. Verse 23. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he looked at himself and has gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. It's a, it's a simple picture, right? The self-deceived spiritually is like someone who looks at their reflection in the mirror and does nothing about it. As a matter of fact, they forget how they looked or how they appeared through the word of God. Now, what is a mirror? You guessed it. A mirror was used for the very same purpose that it's used today. A mirror is used uh, today as it was then. You look into a mirror to make sure that nothing is wrong. You look into a mirror to make sure that nothing needs to be put back into place, right? You guys understand this metaphor perfectly, right? You, you say to yourself as you're looking in the mirror, are there any big smudges on my face before I go out in public? You say to yourself as you're looking in the mirror, do I still have that rogue hair protruding straight out of my forehead this morning? I want to make sure that thing's gone. You look in a mirror to make sure your hair is going in the right direction. You look in the mirror to make sure you don't have a unibrow all of a sudden. There's all sorts of reasons why you look into a mirror. Before you go in public, you want to make sure you don't look like an idiot. That is why you look in a mirror. And for most of us, for most of us, I'm sure, we appreciate mirrors, but we don't necessarily like them. You know what I'm saying, right? I really am thankful that mirrors exist, but I don't really appreciate how mirrors make me feel. I never go away from a mirror saying, David, you look so great today. Man. (laughs) Mirrors generally show me things that I don't want to hear, but I can appreciate them. I, I, of course, would rather have all of my friends see me with a Snapchat filter, but mirrors tell me the brutal, honest truth. Mirrors are truthful. Mirrors tell you what you look like and how you should adjust accordingly. But notice the deluded one, the deceived one. This guy is nuts. He is given a chance to, see it, see himself through the word of God. And notice here the word of God is like a mirror. It's showing what kind of person he is. If you have ESV, it's what kind of person he is like. So it's revealing something about this person to themselves. And notice, this is a very astonishing, wonderful truth about the Word of God. It's not necessarily something you like, but it's something you can appreciate, right? When you read the Word of God, the Word of God is really reading you. When you look into the pages of Scripture, the pages of Scripture are showing you a reflection of how you look before God. The word of God is your mirror. It shows you and the world you live in as it really, really is. Warts and all. Often it is not a pretty picture that you see in the word of God. You see every spot, every blemish, every wrinkle, and you find yourself sometimes coming away from the word of God saying, I am wretched, I am pitiful, I am poor, I am blind, I am naked, I am foolish, I am forgetful. You find yourself coming away from the word of God, disappointed in yourself. Often, often. 
Matter of fact, you could say that the Bible sometimes functions like an artist painting a portrait of you, and it is a painful portrait of you. The Bible shows who you are, and that is how the Bible works. How do you change? How do you change? You, you actually need to see who you are in order to truly change in your life. It actually is, if you can think about it this way, the sign of a true friend if a true friend tells you honestly how you look. I'm really thankful for the friend that tells me I have some mustache on my lips before I go out in public besides them. It's a true friend that tells me who I am. But let me suggest to you tonight that you need two spiritual friends. You need two spiritual friends that will tell the truth about you in order to actually have true spiritual change in your life. The first spiritual friend that you need is the outer friend, the true friend that will tell you who you are, and that is the scriptures themselves. You need the mirror of God's word to tell you truthfully where you are at spiritually. But that's not all you need. You need another spiritual friend. You also need the inner spiritual friend, the Holy Spirit reflecting off of the word of God, revealing you to you and convincing you of you, and also awakening your heart to confess you to you. You need two friends. You need the Spirit of God on the inside, and you need the Scriptures of God on the outside if you will ever see true spiritual change through the mirror of God's Word. But let's get back to the deluded person. Notice the deluded person and what they do with the truth of God's Word as it is a mirror to them of themselves. Instead of doing something about what they see in the mirror, what does the self-deceived person do? They Depart. They go away, verse 24, without doing anything. This is a crazy picture, a ridiculous picture. Who would do this? It is like one of you sees something between your teeth, a piece of food that you ate that morning in the mirror, and you go off and do nothing about it. It's like you seeing a stain all over your lips from that high sea juice you just gulped down a few seconds ago, and you go away doing nothing about it. Here's a sensitive issue. It's like you seeing a zit on your forehead and walking away and doing nothing about it. This person has no concern for the way the Word of God reveals them to them. But notice, that's not even the real problem. The real problem is not just that they walk away. Notice, it's that they go away and they forget. They forget what kind of person they are, verse 24 tells us. This is the true, a staggering shock of all of this. They live as though they haven't just seen themselves revealed to themselves through the Word of God. They choose, for some reason, to ignore or disregard what they have heard, and as a result, to pick up the parable that Jesus would say, the Word of God is taken from them, and they forget it. Now, perhaps we could say we can work all these verses together and work back way, uh, backwards to verse 19 and say, perhaps what they saw in the word of God caused them to respond in anger, and that is why they are leaving, but we don't know. Whatever it is, they have forgotten what they have seen. 
and they have gone away as if it doesn't matter. What a ridiculous person to see something in the mirror and do nothing about it. But this is a self-deceived person. And by the way, forget is a very strong biblical word for something. When you see that people in the Bible are forgetting the covenant of God or the law of God, that doesn't mean they're just helpless, innocent people that just accidentally forgot about what God said. It means they are sinning against God. So perhaps that was what we're seeing here as well. They see their reflection in the mirror, and instead of doing something about it, they choose to ignore it and defiantly go after what they want instead of doing something about the reflection that they're seeing in the mirror. They forget God's word because they don't like the portrait it portrays, and they don't like the remedy that it demands. They prefer their own view, their own desires, their own... um, Uh, will, their own interpretation of their life and of their feelings, rather than interpreting their life and their feelings through the word of God. By the way, that's not a picture of humility, is it? That is a picture of pride. I don't want to view me through God's word, but I want to view me through my desires for me. That is a very proud individual. Now let me just pause 10 seconds for station identification again and tell you that there is a massive warning in this to you. Do you feel the massive warning of this text that's being impressed on you? It is a grave and a serious thing to walk away from a sermon and just ignore it, to just forget it. It's a serious problem. It would be better for you, in one sense, to not listen to anything, to never open your Bible, to never come to church, than to come to church, to open your Bible, and do nothing about it. Why? Well, one, you're wasting your time, and two, you are actually increasing the judgment on your life if you do nothing about it. You are self-deceived and greater judgment is happening. Jesus said this to people in Luke 8.18, beware how you listen. Be careful of how you listen for whoever has, more will be given and whoever doesn't have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken from him. There will be people that think they are Christians But because they have done nothing with the word of God in their life, even that boast will be quickly taken away from them at the judgment of Christ. You are heaping on yourself tremendous, tremendous judgment. Listen to this quote by Ken Ramey. I quoted him last week from Expository Listening, but this is a good book. I'm going to quote it again. He says this, When a person is constantly exposed to God's word but doesn't respond properly to the truth they hear, they put themselves at risk of losing what truth they may already have. If you don't plan on applying what you read, then don't waste your time reading the Bible. If you don't plan on acting on what you hear in church, then don't waste your time going. Not only are you just wasting your time, but more importantly, you are heaping judgment upon yourself for neglecting the word of God. And listen to this quote particularly. Every time you hear the word of God preached, you are training yourself to either obey or disobey God's word. I'll read that again. Every time you hear God's word preached, you are training yourself to either obey or disobey God. 
If you have a posture, let me, this isn't him, this is just me. If you have a posture towards God's word that you say, hey, I'll just let God's word go in one ear and out the other, that is actually trained disobedience. You are used to hearing God's word and not paying any attention to it. That is a false believer. That is evidence of a self-deceived person. I'll keep reading. The scariest thing about listening to God's word without applying it is that your heart will eventually become hardened to it. It's been said that the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. There is no neutral ground with God's word. Every time you are exposed to it, you are either being softened by it or hardened by it. Do you realize that? Every time the word of God is opened, you are either being softened to the word of God in your life or hardened to the word of God in your life. Your attitude right now is training you for how you respond to the God of the universe. Do you take every moment that the word of God is open before you very seriously? You should because you are training your heart in how you listen. The bottom line is you know that you are deluded if God's word doesn't change you. If you are comfortable letting God's word be heard but not done in your life. If you find yourself again and again hearing sermon after sermon, and feeling a pinch of conviction, but going home and doing nothing about it. You are increasingly training yourself to experience less and less conviction in your life, and you, my friend, are self-deceived by how you respond to the Word of God. Let's compare, let's compare though, the deluded one to the spiritual doer. Let's compare the acts and the practices of the deluded to the acts and the practices of the spiritual doer. Number two, the spiritual doer, verse 25. We've already read this. Let's read it again. Read it again. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man will be blessed in what he does. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? You go from being self-deceived, an embarrassment to yourself, and anybody who knows you, that person is so self-deceived, how can they not see that thing on their face? You go from being that to being blessed in whatever you do. That is the difference between a doer and somebody who is deluded. By the way, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, this could be an end times blessing. We already saw that in verse 12 of chapter 1, right? The one who perseveres under a trial, they will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We could be looking at the end, but we could also be looking at the present as well. This language itself seems to suggest not only a future blessing, but also a present blessing. Do you see what it says? This person will be blessed in all that he does, in what he does. Matter of fact, the the word reminds me a lot of Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1, and maybe this is intentional, right? How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates, and it goes on to say what the blessing is like in his life. He is like a tree that yields its fruit in season, in everything that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. 
Notice this man is blessed in all that he does. But what does he first do? What makes him blessed? What's the difference between the doer of the word of God and the deluded under the word of God? Well, notice the doer, verse 25, abides by it. He continues under it and continues in it. This is interesting, right? Because Jesus often talks about how you must abide in me if you want to bear fruit, right? The same thing goes with James here, right? You abide by the word of God. You continue by it. You don't leave it, but you let the word of God do its work on you. In other words, you meditate on the truth you see in God's word. In other words, you allow God's word to actually reveal you to you, and you don't let go of God's word until it has had its through with you and done its work in you. You say, I know where I am weak and I'm going to attack it with as much scripture as I know. I'm going to ask my parents what verses come to mind when they think about this. I'm going to ask my small group leader about what kind of sin I am dealing with here. I am going to abide by the word of God. I want to live differently in accordance to the word of God, in accordance to the truth of God's word. I want to abide in it. You remain and let the word of God reveal you to you. You also live to you also seek to live according to the truth you see. Now let me tell you something. Let me tell you this. The beginning the beginning of killing sin in your life comes always with a right and biblical understanding and definition of sin in your life. You begin to kill sin when you begin to think about your sin biblically, in other words. When you stop saying, I'm just addicted to this, but you start saying, I am in bondage to this. I'm enslaved to this. I am overtaken by this. That's when you are thinking biblically about your sin. When you stop saying, I'm just a control freak. And you start saying, I am oppressive, I am overbearing, I have an idolatrous, idolatrous desire to control. You know that the word of God is doing its work when you stop referring to yourself and to your family as dysfunctional. And instead you start saying, we are disobeying biblical commands. We are disorderly. We are out of sync with the word of God. You know that you are beginning to kill sin when you stop saying, I'm just a paranoid kind of person. And you start referring to yourself as someone who is suspicious, as someone who is not believing all things. You start killing sin when you do these things and when you think about yourself in these ways. And when you think about yourself biblically and you abide by the word of God and you say, I am going to choose to think about me as the word of God thinks about me. That is the beginning of killing sin. And that is the beginning of doing God's word. It's thinking about yourself according to the word of God. But why do you abide? Why does the doer abide? Why would you willingly put yourself under such a painful self-portrait that the word of God reveals to you in its word? Well, here's the answer. Ready? This is a, this is a really important answer, getting all the way back to what we talked about at the beginning. The word of God is a mirror of reality to bring about true spiritual freedom in your life. I'll say it again. The word of God is a mirror of reality 
to lead you into true spiritual freedom in your life. The word of God is the word of truth, the word of freedom, the word of liberty. When you live according to the word of God, you enjoy freedom and you enjoy blessedness as a result. Now, don't get all caught up here on verse 25, the perfect law, the law of freedom. Don't get all caught up on the law there. This is a Jewish way of describing God's instruction for life that brings great blessing. You remember Psalm 1 or Psalm 19 or Psalm 119. All of these refer to the word of God as God's instruction that brings about great blessing. The law here is referred to in that way. This is God's instruction that brings freedom into my life. I'm actually in bondage in my sin, but God's word brings me into joy and freedom and peace and contentment. That is what God's word does in my life. It is counter to what the culture wants me to think about God's word. The law of God brings freedom. Now, of course, this is probably referring to the the new covenant law of God in Christ. This is the spirit-empowered law. This is the law that comes to us through the gospel and the blessedness of those truths. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the instructions of God's word bring you into a place of delight and joy and freedom. God's word shows you who you are so that you can be freed of who you are, so that you can repent and turn and trust in Christ more. Let me give you a shock. You do not know how sinful you are. You do not know how great your sin is. You will never know. The word of God reveals this here and there and there and there. But for that same reason, you also do not know how great your Savior is. The more you see of your sin, in other words, the greater you love your Savior and your heart will be glued to him and your life will produce fruit accordingly. The word of God reveals your sin to you, but also reveals the glory and the greatness and the wonder and the sweetness and the preciousness of Jesus Christ. Because every sin that you find in yourself in the word of God, you know is paid by Christ's precious blood. The word of God, through the spirit of God, therefore brings incredible joy and freedom. But the deluded, the self-deceived, they want no piece of that. And I'll just close with this. The deluded, the so-called believer, chooses rather to ignore, chooses rather to forget God's word and live as though real freedom, real joy, real life is found outside of God's word. Uh, The so-called believer chooses to forget God's word because they want what the world says will make them truly happy. They think it is outside God's word, it is outside God's will, that true freedom is found. Now, to illustrate this point, this is like this box of spindrift over here. No, that's not true. It's like what's under this box of spindrift right here. Are you still alive? All right, that's right. So, here's a little fish. 
we will call this fish Alfredo. Okay? This is the official anchored fish. Now, you see, Alfredo really seems to enjoy this pool that I've made him. Alfredo really seems to enjoy the colored pebbles that I've chosen for him, but I suppose some other fish could come along and say, man, Fred, you are sure not living the dream. Look at how limiting your fish tank is. If you want to know real freedom, you would not accept these silly little parameters. You would try to go outside of the fish tank. Real freedom. Be true in your heart, Alfredo. Real freedom is found outside of the fish tank. Right? And Alfredo, of course, believes. Why? Because he's been drinking this Kool-Aid all of his life. He believes that what makes me internally happy must be true. Because I've heard this message all of my life. So, Alfredo decides to do a little bit of a jump outside of the pool of life. If I can get Alfredo. Now, and maybe initially, Alfredo feels free, but how free is Alfredo? Initially, he is outside of the pool, but is he really truly free? No. He is outside of the confines of God's word that bring him life. It's still got a little water on it. <laughs> couldn't handle it. I know you couldn't. But don't you think that is how you think too? Don't you think that's how you think? God's truth seems so limiting. God's truth seems to butt me up against everything that everyone else around me tells me will bring me happiness. If I actually listen to God's word and let it reveal me to me and do what it says, I will be less satisfied in my life. I will be less happy, less fulfilled. But God's word is actually the opposite. Why is it actually the opposite? Because God's word is written by the God who created you and knows what's best for you. You were made, you were made, students, to be in a relationship with God, knowing him and enjoying him in a certain context. And when you abandon that, you actually find yourself dying. That is what happens when you go outside of the word of God. You begin to die. That's what our friend Alfredo has to teach us. But that's more importantly what God's word says, right? Are you a doer or are you deluded? Do you hear God's word and does it go out your ear? Or do you hear God's word and abide by it because you believe in your heart? Like it says in verses 16, 17, and 18 that everything from God should be trusted because God is good in all that he says and does. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for uh, this moment. This moment we were able to stop here and think and meditate on your word, and I pray that this truth would sink into our hearts and convict us of who we are and how we respond to your word. We, may we not be foolish and self-deluded and believe we know what is best for us, but may we. Submit 
ourselves to your word and what your word says about us and what your word says about you. And may we live accordingly. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.